And uh, they told me I can't put my own name in here, which is terrible. But I'm, uh, maybe someone did just because they're having fun. Well, I'm going to stop with this one on the bottom, pull it up. Who wins our gift card? <gasps> Ginger Bonner. Where are you at? Ginger gets, uh, so you have to see Daniel for that, but we want to thank you, Ginger. And uh, speaking of serving, did you get it on? There we go. Speaking of serving, uh, Wednesday nights, you guys are aware, we do Journey on Wednesday nights, fifth grade and up, 6.30, we're here, we're having a lot of fun. We had 18 kids last week, so that was really cool. This November the 30th, the Wednesday after Thanksgiving, we are doing a Friendsgiving with Journey, so... Anyone in here who is of fifth grade and up, we want you guys to come out. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do a tribute to the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving dinner. Where we're going to do that and have some fun. So I want to see you guys out here. Amen. I just want to shout out that Jeff is like one of the greatest servants that I know, man. He's always here. Jeff has been like doing kids work for the Lord for what, 35, 40 years now? So something like that. I'm grateful for Jeff. <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 28, and I get to conclude our series called Great Minds Think Alike. I know great minds think alike because uh, most of y'all are going to go out and vote this week. <laughs> Please vote. Uh, there are certain things that God considers to be of the utmost importance, things that God considers great in his sight. And we talked about some of the, the greats of the Bible, like the greatest among you, Jesus said, would be a servant of all. Like it's greatness in the eyes of God when you can just serve and be a blessing. And, you know, we talked last week about the great commandment in which we're to love one another, and the love of God is like the highest level of spiritual maturity that people ever attain to, when they just know how to walk in love and be a blessing. And so I'm finishing up the topic with uh, something that God cares deeply about, and I want to highlight for you today what's called the Great Commission. I want to read Jesus' famous words, Matthew 28, starting in the 18th verse. I want to read down to verse 20 and pray. It says that Jesus came and spoke to his disciples. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, he said, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you this morning that we can be gathered here in the house of the Lord to seek your face and grow. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be a people who have a larger perspective than just from our own lives. We'd be able to see things as they are in heaven from eternal standpoints. And open up our hearts to receive today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, I was thinking about uh, my grandfather, Kenneth Max Leland Hall. You know, he was a World War II vet. Got shot down by the Nazis back in uh, World War II. And, you know, the great thing about living with uh, older grandparents like that is they, they like to spoil children. So somebody said amen if you had grandparents. Yeah. Now, my mother, because we were living with grandma and grandpa on and off for quite a while, my mother would send them to the store to buy groceries. And inevitably, invariably, in almost every case, my grandfather would come home with either donuts or cookies, praise God. And my mom would say, that was not on the list. Like, what, you know, what are you doing? And, and he was just like, hey, you sent me to the store. You delegated this responsibility to me. What did you expect? So that's really where I got a, a uh, <laughs> I, I love donuts, man. I got it from my grandpa. He's, he liked coffee and donuts, and I've tried to carry on that tradition. And uh, that's what the Great Commission is all about. We have been given authority. We've been delegated to fulfill this commission that God has put out for us. Uh, 
What, what is the Great Commission? That's what I want to highlight for you this morning. You know, I, I've heard this phrase, the Great Commission, my whole life. I've been raised in church my whole life, and I actually expect that the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled in my lifetime because of technology, because of the seasons that we're in. I fully believe we're going to see these things taking place where the world is reached. And, you know, when we talk about church, there, there's what I've taught five purposes, five things that take place in church. Why, why, why do we gather for church? First of all, we, we gather here, you know, on Sunday mornings to worship God. And I, I love being in the house of God and worshiping with you all. Man, it's, it's fun for me to sing even though I clamp, can't clap on beat. I mean, we've got people up here who don't wear shoes. No one cares. We just love the Lord. We sing. We, it's great. I love to teach from the scriptures. I, uh, I think we gather here so that we can grow in the word of God and know it. And we gather here as we do this morning to serve one another. I mean, that, that, that's really what we're trying to emphasize and, and value in the series. And today, we're grateful for your servanthood. We gather for fellowship. There's nothing more wonderful than for me to see Jeff Urso and make some jokes about the football and baseball. And I, I just, I love hanging out with the people of God. I mean, that, that part of fellowship is a wonderful thing. And there's a real purpose to the church. It's called evangelism. And this might be the thing that happens the most outside of the local church. So don't get me wrong. We give people chances to get saved, but... Reaching the world around us is one of those things that take place outside of the four walls of the church. And to be perfectly honest with you, I have really not heard too many messages in churches on evangelism. Uh, you know, you, you, in these days, you don't hear so much about it. You know, we're talking here about the Great Commission. And anyone ever heard of George Barna? So he's a missionologist. He does statistics and studies. They did a study and found out 51% of people who attend church have either not heard of the phrase the Great Commission or are unfamiliar with what the term really means. And, you know, the Great Commission, what it is, is, is world evangelism. It's, it's, it's the idea that we want to reach the world around us. As I said, I believe it's going to be fulfilled in our lifetime. But that means if people haven't heard of it, they're not familiar with it, they don't really have a theology around it, what it means. And, 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 and I think sometimes people don't appreciate that idea because we live in a bubble in small rural places like Billings, Montana. And it's like you're just unaware sometimes of the immense size of the world around us. Yeah, I learned that when I was in India. You know, I went to Delhi, which they now say is like the second or first largest city in the world. It's Delhi and Tokyo. And the crazy thing about going to India is that there's more people in India than there is in the entire continent of Africa, which is like three or four times the size. In other words, when I left Delhi and I got over into the countryside smuggling Bibles and Christian literature into Nepal, there was still as many people there as there was in Delhi. It's like you could not escape them. It blew my mind because of the amount of people. And in the last you know, 100, 150 years, we've seen a meteoric rise in the world population. And I believe that God has done that because we're living in this appointed time when he saves his best for last, the most people on the planet, is when we can reach the most for the Lord. And so I want to highlight this last great thought about the Great Commission. What is it? What does it mean to us? Now, let's, let's look at the 18th verse right here. Jesus came, and he spoke to his disciples. All authority, he said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Someone say, go. Go, go therefore, he said, and make disciples of all nations. Let's just stop right here. Here is the first answer to this question. What is the Great Commission? It is, first of all, a command to go into all the world. It's a command that we have received from God. You know, it's, it's sort of implied. 
When Jesus said, I've been given, I'm, I have authority, he said, you go in my name. He is delegating us to go down to the grocery store and buy some groceries <laughs> in the name of Jesus. He's given us that authority to reach the world around us. We've been commissioned to evangelize the nations of the world. And this classic statement that Jesus put out in uh, Matthew 28 right here is recorded in all four of the Gospels. You know, in, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, go and preach to every creature. If you've got pets, that means you're authorized to preach the gospel to them. John chapter 20, he said, as, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I like Acts chapter 1. You know, Luke wrote Acts, and, and he said that you're going to wait for the Holy Spirit, and when he comes upon you, you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. That, that's the commission that we have received from the Lord. He said, go, therefore. Someone say, go. go. You know, the problem with the word go is that it's very open-ended. I mean, go means a number. I mean, that, that, that can be a wide array of things for us to go. So let me give you some thoughts on what it means to go. First of all, sometimes, you know, when, when you're going out for the Lord, you're going as you are led by the Holy Spirit. You got to go as you're led. And I, I went on a trip one time this last year, just before COVID hit, it was actually 2020, to go to India. I had a burning desire in my heart to go there. And I'm happy I did. I saw things that just blessed me, encouraged me, and I saw the gospel being preached. I mean, that trip changed my life, but I, I had a strong impression from the Lord that I needed to go with him. Sometimes you got to go where the doors are open, and God will just open doors for you. You know, I remember uh, twice I've had doors come wide open for me to get over to Israel, and I never really even thought about going there before, but the doors came open. I remember when we were there in 2013, I was... Uh, you know, at the hotel lobby trying to buy uh, a few things with the little shekels that I had before, you know, <laughs> before they, you know, whisked us off to the airport. And I remember that one guy who was working there in the kiosk, he told me, I envy Christians because you have so much more freedom than we do. And, and it gave me this a chance to tell him about Jesus. You know, I remember we went uh, in 2017 and, and the tour guide lady that was taking us places, she was a Jewish person, but she said, I envy the joy that you Christians have. I mean, those witnesses, those opportunities came to me to just be a witness, right? That the doors came open to go, and there we were able to bless people. Sometimes you got to go without hesitation. And I watch this happen to people a lot. The door will come open, and sometimes it's like we hesitate. We, we get a little reserved. We don't come when the door is open. And I've, I've seen that if you'll just step into a moment when the door is right there for you, that's when things come open. you got to go when those doors open. Sometimes going means that you go with a group. And when I say that, what I mean is the idea of mass evangelism. You know, I have some friends that will do amazing crusades in different places of the world. And I had a friend in, in, in Pittsburgh, he was doing a crusade, and boy, he had, had an amazing time there. He made a statement I never forgot. He said, you know, mass evangelism used to be something that Billy Graham would do. How many remember Billy Graham? And it's like in today's world, we don't see it as much. And he said, you know, years ago, you could get Presbyterians, you could get Lutherans, you could get Methodists. They would all kind of come together and work to sponsor a Billy Graham crusade. But he said today, you know, Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, a lot of them don't really believe those things about the Bible anymore. And, and so he said it's very hard to get people together. It's like mass evangelism and, and churches working together and groups working together has almost become 
like, like, like a, a lost art. But I have seen that the world is so big, sometimes the way that you reach people in the world is through mass crusades. So I take an all-of-the-above approach. I mean, that, that's a command to go. It's a command to go out and evangelize people. You can do it in groups. Sometimes, though, you go as an individual. That means there's moments when you have one-on-one moments and times, opportunities with God uh, to, to reach the people around you. Who can you reach just around you? I mean, neighbors, coworkers, the people you see every day, people at school. That's your sphere of influence. Those are the people that you can reach, and they are hungry, and they are waiting for someone to reach them with the gospel. He, he, he said, go into the nations of the world. Now, what I've discovered about the word go, somebody say go. go. The word go, it has a supernatural connotation to it. Think about what he said. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. That's spiritual authority. And th- there's a spiritual commandment, a spiritual level of authority that follows you when the word of God is taught. That's what the Great Commission in, in Mark's gospel said. He said that the signs and wonders accompanied the word that was preached. And, you know, that supernatural element to the gospel is real. I remember being in India and seeing miracle after miracle and crowds growing nightly because they took place. I mean, it was a supernatural thing. There's something supernatural about the gospel that, that God will back up his word with signs, wonders, and miracles. And those things take place in the world to reach people. The word go, it's one of those words when he said, uh, go into all the nations of the world that Christians have been doing since the beginning of this religion, since they founded Christianity. I uh, was in India and I learned that Thomas, the apostle, actually went to India. They, They have his grave there. And he took the gospel to the far corners of the known world at the time that he was alive. You know, recently I was reading the news They said they found a Christian monastery in the United Arab Emirates. They said it predates the founding of Islam by 700 years. You don't realize that Christianity is 700 years older than than the Islamic faith. And so when when people heard Jesus say these words, they took it. Literally, they went to the uttermost places of the world with the gospel of Jesus. You know, uh, coming up this year in March 2023, I hope to be able to go to Pakistan with my friend Chris Michaels. And I remember Chris came here, and I have a little initiative we started called the PAC 100, and I would like to go with him. I mean, if the doors open, I intend to go. He did just send an email out, and he said that the militants were trying to kill the, the previous prime minister because he's a more moderate man. So it is a dangerous place to go, but don't tell my wife that. If she doesn't know, maybe she'll let me go. <laughs> if that door comes open, man, I want to go through it. it the, the, the thing about the word go is it is the most expensive word in the Bible. Right. It does cost something for people to go. So uh, that PAC 100 that we have instituted right now, I think we've saved up almost $40,000 to be able to go. That's from money that we say we fundraise some of that money, and I want to help sponsor a crusade because Chris is reaching people in Pakistan in, in an incredible way. And it's very inexpensive to reach people in Pakistan. Uh, it's almost like 80 cents a soul because they can track it, figure out how much they, they, they can get in there. And if you got a couple dollars in your pocket, you want to win some souls, it would be good ground to, to sow into. But we'll be doing that in March. You hear me talk about it if the Lord opens that door. I was in India when Daniel called me, and he said, Jordan, it sounds like that this property we own is going to be bought, and we've got a buyer, and that, if he, if he follows through with it, it would pay 
the entire building off. And it got me fired up because while I'm out on a missions trip, I realized that God was going to bring us out of debt as a church and pay the place off because it was like in his heart and mind, he, he, we could do that to reach the world around us uh, for missions. I mean, there's some things I want to accomplish around here. I want to get, you know, some sprinklers put back here. I want to beautify the property outside, get some new bathrooms, in, get rid of this green carpet. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but the thing I really want to do is take the gospel to the nations of the world. That is something burning in me. And I feel like, man, God has put that desire in my heart. I was talking to Daniel about this. You know, he, he said, I don't want to stop giving to missions work. I, I want to increase what we're doing because we, we believe God has put us in a position to be able to do that. These are the things that matters to God. It's about reaching the world around us. And, and so when you give to our church, you can rest assured there's a good portion of that budget above our tithes and offerings. I mean, we were given like 18% last year that goes to reach people and nations around the world. And, um, you know, trust me, there'll be no financial mismanagement here. Daniel and David have assured me they would beat me up. So <laughs> we want to see that money go to the Lord. We want to see it used effectively. So there's so many ways for you to go. You know, the thing that really shocked me the most about going to India, I had people criticize me because they said that we were, you know, trying to convert Hindus and Muslims and ruin their culture. And I'm just telling you, there is a command from the Lord for us to go into the nations of the world and reach people who otherwise would be lost without him. So that's what I go. I go on Jesus' words to go. Uh, let, let's, let's think about a second thought right here. Second answer to the question. I'm in verse number 19. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he said, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, let, let's talk about a, a second answer to this question. The Great Commission is the authorization for us to teach Christian doctrine. Somebody say the word doctrine. Now, doctrine is basically just means Christian traditions, teaching. It's, it's, it's the teaching of God's word. That's what doctrine is. It's his commands. Remember, his command is to love one another. Uh, it's the ordinances of the church, water baptism, communion, those things. It's the traditions that we have. We lay hands on people and, and, and call them into the ministry, pray for the sick. These are things that we've been commanded to do in Scripture. I like what the book of Acts says, Acts chapter 2, uh, that they had fellowship with one another and continued in the apostles' doctrine. You know, there's something about doctrine and fellowship that go hand-to-hand -hand together because that's how you don't get off. If you've only got doctrine, but you don't have other people to help bounce those things off and work with you, you're not really going to grow. So you need doctrine and fellowship together. You know, in the modern church, this is my experience in church, we have de-emphasized doctrine because they think, well, it ruffles people the wrong way. They don't fully understand it. So we really dumb down certain things that we teach in church. So you got denominations today who are supposed Pentecostal denominations, but you would not see any Pentecostal practices in those denominations. I mean, you know, you, you've got other people who are, are in ministry, but because they don't have good doctrinal grounding, they might do things that are unauthorized to do. Maybe they'll prophesy things that never did take place. And because people aren't fully aware of what Scripture teaches, they never challenge them, never test it, let things go on, don't bat an eye about it. And I'm just trying to help understand how the Bible is taught, how to teach doctrine to people. You know, my, my grandma, I'm so glad she's here today. Grandma, she might be sleeping back there, but she's 98, so we'll give her, it's all right. Now, grandma told me that she grew up Lutheran. And everyone in her family, she, I think she had seven siblings, and I think one or two of them 
went on to become Lutheran pastors. They had to go through seven years of seminary. And so grandma could always talk to me about confirmation. She would talk about the ordinances, the rites of the church, different things she could define in detail because she grew up in a church culture where that was all taught and they knew what they believed. And you flash forward to today's generation, it's like nobody has a clue what we'd mean when we talk about immersion in water. Well, you know, that just means you're baptized. It's like pe- people don't have an understanding of sanctification. They don't understand the, the process where, where God is working things in, in your heart. And I'm, I'm grateful I grew up in a home where people talked about those things. It really sharpened me. Let's talk about some Christian doctrines. I just mentioned one of them. Baptism. That, that is what happens when you accept Jesus and you want to be his disciple and you identify with Jesus and his death on the cross, his burial, that's what going under the water is, and his resurrection. And I did baptize several people out at the river. Wave at me if you've been baptized at the river down there on a warm July day. Come on, somebody. A lot of y'all been baptized. I had some fun ones. Yeah, water baptism. You know why people get baptized and want to follow the Lord? It's because they understand the depravity of man. That, that, that the Bible teaches, and this is the only religious book that teaches, that man is in a fallen condition that you were lost in your sin. And, and, and people don't want to hear that today. We just all assume everyone's a good person. Oh, no, that's not what the scriptures teach. They teach that you and I are hopeless without Jesus, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, I had a friend one time, he, was, he put this out on Facebook. He was invited to preach at a large church, 10,000 people. They said, we love your gift and we want you to preach. They said, the only thing that we ask of you is that you do not mention the word sin. You can call it issues, you can say struggles, you can tell people they got problems, just don't say sin. Mm. Don't want to make people uncomfortable. Dumb down the doctrines. See, uh, the reason why you need to get redeemed, that's another theological word, doctrine, is because you were born in sin. And redemption comes through faith and grace in the finished work of Jesus, the blood that he shed on the cross. I'm so grateful for the cross of Jesus. It's the power over sin. Come on, somebody. His blood that was shed for me. That's why we take communion. It's the blood of Jesus shed. It's it's the body of Jesus that was broken for you and me. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I can be righteous in the sight of God. When's the last time you heard a message about righteousness, what that means? To stand right in his sight. We have peace with God. On the basis of our faith, this is what Christianity teaches, that the way you approach God is in faith and that he accepts you on that condition alone through grace. That's a remarkable thing. Righteousness in the eyes of God. Man, I'm grateful I can be righteous before the Lord. Yeah. He said, baptizing people here in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a doctrine we call the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is an active agent working with us in our lives. So we... We believe in gifts of baptism in the Holy Spirit. We, we believe that you can get filled with the Holy Spirit. We believe in gifts of the Holy Spirit where the will of God gets revealed so you know what to do in your life. You can follow his leading. And, and we believe that as he's doing that in your life, as he's leading and guiding you, you, you're in a process of sanctification. Someone say sanctification. That's just a little process where the Lord is cutting out little struggles and sins in your life that help you grow as a person. And, and really walk with God in, in holiness and reverence in the way that you should be. And, and this is all part of being discipled as a Christian. And by the way, if you need to get some shoulders rubbed together and you need to get some things cut off, I want to invite you to come out on Tuesday morning. We're having vindicated men's breakfast where we're learning about what it means to not make excuses and grow as a mature believer. And I am cooking breakfast. And last week, I did a great job cooking breakfast. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I'm told by Brenda, who made burritos back there, that we might have enough for the next 
time we get together here for men's groups, and that would mean that I don't have to cook. Someone else has cooked for me, praise the Lord. Done a better job cooking than I could do. <laughs> the sanctification process. Yeah. We believe that this same Jesus, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, is coming again. We believe in the imminent return of Jesus. And if you know anything about the times we're living in, you can see these things lining up for us. And we believe that heaven and hell is real. It's an eternal state. And that people who die without the Lord end up, they end up in eternal separation from him. Or if they know him, they end up with him. These are things the Bible teaches that people are scared to. You know, when Jesus taught in, in Matthew chapter 7, he taught with authority. And it astounded the scribes. Now, I have made this observation. I can tell when a person's teaching has authority in the way they teach. I've seen some people who just mamby-pamby and can't quite get the point across. And you might confuse their timidity with humility, but it's not what it is. But I also have seen, I can tell when someone is filled with the fire of the Lord and can teach doctrine and can teach with authority so that you hear it. You know, it's interesting that the book of Titus says that the Bible is preached and it's the way that God manifests himself. He manifests his word through preaching. Paul actually called it the foolishness of preaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Preaching is a foolish exercise. But what it does is it stirs people up on the inside. When you hear the word taught, when, when you hear something that comes alive, it, it's like, man, that begins to fire you up. That begins to kind of work in you and you get excited about something and you start thinking about how God is actively doing something. Yeah, I, I like what the Bible says in the book of Romans, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when the word is taught and you hear it, it's like your faith gets stirred up, man. You get excited about the things of God and, and, and you can you know, grow because that word is getting in you and it's sustaining you and nourishing you. And as you hear it, it, it's effectively working in you. That's what the scripture says about it. There's something about teaching doctrine and Bible truths that bring people alive out of a place of darkness and into the glorious light. Now, I was telling you about India. Man, it is such a crazy place. It opened up my eyes. The reason why I want to go there in Pakistan is because 69% of the world's unreached people groups are in India. And, and Pakistan and South Asia, that part of the world, it's a, Afghanistan, it's a fertile soil, and people are getting saved there in droves. Now, when I went there, we went to the northern part of India, which is like some of the most unreached places you're up there along the Himalayas. In the southern part of India, I, I was reading about the story of a man named Pastor Stadish. Now, Pastor Stadish had a large growing congregation. And you know, one night he had an encounter with the Lord. And he felt the Lord tell him that he was going to build a church in 52 days, a church that seated 25,000 people. See, in India, the, the Hindu government has really clamped down because they're trying to maintain their Hindu culture. So they are actively working against Christianity. You can't build a church there. And by the time the permits would take to get past and all that, he had a window of 52 days. Do you know that in 52 days working around the clock, they built a church that seats 25,000? He has eight services a day. That man has 200,000 people going through his doors in India. And here's what he said. He said, the greatest thing I can do for my people here in India to reach them is to teach the Bible. He said, we've had seen so many miracles. We've had people come. But he said, I've got a group of people who are saved. They need to hear the word of God. Because when it's taught and they grow, that's how a mind gets renewed. That's how culture gets changed. It's the word of God working in someone's heart. 
It takes the supernatural, and it takes the word of God at work. So when we talk about the Great Commission, what we're trying to tell you is it's the authorization to teach the things of God from the Bible. Come on, somebody. Now, now I want to highlight one, one more thought here about the Great Commission and what it means. And as I was just kind of meditating, reading through the passage here, I couldn't help but overlook this last part of verse 20. He said, and lo, somebody say lo. That's why I like the uh, New King James Version of the Bible. It uses these poetic words right here. That just simply means, look, watch, behold, he said. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. To me, the Great Commission, if you want to answer that question, it is a relationship that you have with the Lord all the way to the end of the age. It's that relationship, a union that we have with Jesus, the fact that we are in connection with him. Matthew is very interesting. He begins in Matthew chapter 1, and, and the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and he said, you're going to have a child, and his name should be called Emmanuel, God with us. And now here at the end of the book, he says the same thing. He said, uh, I'm going to be with you into the end of the age. So this, this, it, it, this connection here between him being with us at the beginning and the end is sort of like a reference to Jesus' divinity, his deity, which is another doctrine that we would call the incarnation. Uh, he's fully God, he's fully man, and he is alive, and his presence is with us when we gather together through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Great Commission. You go into all the world, and you teach to every creature the things of God. Yeah. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? He's the Lord who does not change. I was thinking about this because this relationship that I have with him is precious. Because as I was thinking about it, I was realizing that he was with me yesterday. Now, yesterday I was in my garage. I'm putting a, 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 a heater in there. Because, you know, in Montana, the winters are eternal. And it's nice to have a heated garage where you can work out of. And I didn't sometimes, I didn't really fully understand all that I'm doing. I mean, I just work, try to figure it out, and I ask for God's help. Because it's easy to get frustrated, isn't it? You hit your head on nails in the ceiling attic, and then you want to say bad things. But the Lord was with me. I was reading the Bible yesterday morning in devotions, and I remember reading a passage of scripture that meant something to me 10 years ago, and it meant something different to me at the moment I was reading it. And I remember he was with me. I was thinking about decisions I made years ago, and he was with me. I was thinking about the troubles I went through in my past, and he was with me. I was thinking about, you know, how my kid was in the NICU 40 days. I was thinking about how I met my wife. I was thinking about how my mom survived an aneurysm. I was thinking about when my dad died, how, how God was faithful in that moment. Man, he was with me yesterday. And you know what? He's with me today. He's with me right now. He will be with me when I go finish out the rest of my project and when I watch football tonight. <laughs> and I'll feel his grace even more because the Broncos aren't playing, and that'll relieve me. I won't have to be stressed out watching yeah, I felt his grace. You'll feel it right now. you feel it on the way home from the services. He's always with you. He's with you yesterday. He's with you today right now. And by the way, that means that he will be with you when? Tomorrow. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's always with you. He, he will go with you. He'll be with you. And it gives you great confidence because you remember what he brought me through, he will bring me through when I go through the next trial. And the next struggle. And the next thing that I'm faced with. I mean, he knows exactly what's coming around the corner. He's got you covered. His grace is made away. I'm so thankful for that. You know what else he's with you? He's with you when you witness to somebody. That's probably the thing 99% of people really aren't doing an effective job with. I've found that when you 
do bring up the gospel to somebody. You start sharing with them. Something happens on the inside. You feel the supernatural hand of God kind of coming alive, activating words that you would say. Now, my friend Paul over here, he tells me, I was out witnessing to people in cornfields. He tells me when he gets them saved, man, I love that. that that's, that's the grace of the Lord that goes with somebody when they witness. But, you know, a lot of times, we just as Christians, we, we keep silent too much. We leave too many opportunities on the table. I mean, when is the last time that you shared your faith with somebody? Because that's really the heart of the Great Commission. It's for you. You have been authorized. You, you have been commissioned to be a witness to all the nations of the world. There and here in your own local setting. This just happened to me yesterday. I was praying all week. I said, Lord, I want to witness to somebody. I got a phone call last night from a friend of mine. And he wanted to just come down and talk about the Lord. And I got to tell him that God is not angry at you. He's a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness. And just being able to share that, man, it stirred me up. It got me all excited about his goodness and mercy. I want to challenge you. If you're having a bad day, you get depressed, you get frustrated, you start getting angry uh, about election results, maybe you ought to just go witness to somebody and share your faith and watch what happens as you get stirred up. Come on, somebody. That's the Great Commission. You have been authorized to win souls and make disciples. And if you're like my grandpa, you can also go and buy donuts. You've been given delegated authority everywhere you go. Now, I want to ask you the question this morning. Where can you go? Because maybe you feel like, I don't want to go to Pakistan. That's good for you, brother. I don't have any interest in going to Pakistan. Or, you know, you, you don't have doors open to go to different nations of the world. But where can you go? Who, who's the circle of influence around you? Who are your people? Coworkers? People you see daily? Those people at your school? You can witness to people in any situation that you're at. You, you can be a light. You can be a blessing. You, you don't have to go places you maybe haven't been called to. Maybe you've just been called to be here. Go to the grocery store. Be a witness. Walmart is fertile soil to witness to people. I mean, it, it, you can witness to people anywhere. Yeah. He, he, but maybe, maybe the reason you don't witness is because you feel like you don't feel equipped. You feel like, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm not really established in doctrine. I, I couldn't point to verses and tell people where this is found in the Bible. And, well, it's real simple, man. They're, they're, you just got to learn how to love people, encourage people. And the Bible says, Jesus said, when you start talking about him, he'll give you the words to speak. And so even if you don't feel qualified to teach, he, he will be right there with you. And sometimes I found with people, you don't have to explain everything to them. You don't have to get in their face about it. What I like to do a lot of times to just start a conversation is I'll say something like I had a guy I was working on with, with the house. I went to consult him about what venting to put in. And I just said, man, I'm praying for our nation. I'm praying for these elections. And that one little statement right there just opens up a door so I can talk about it. It's that little seed that you sow because... You know, you're not responsible to win everybody, but you could just be a witness wherever you are. If you ask the right questions or drop a little seed, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I love you. Hey, where do you go to church? I mean, just little things like that can open up the door in someone's heart to converse. Or, you know, maybe it's just simple as growing in your relationship with the Lord. How many of you want to grow in your relationship with God? I mean, you know, it's, it's so great to have Grandma back there. Grandma got filled with the Holy Spirit in 1967. And it was like, man, that one encounter with God just sent her on a journey her whole life. She's been obsessed about God ever since I've known her. 
That's all she wants to talk about sometimes. I love that because that one encounter she had set her up to grow in the things of God. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you just realize, I got to grow. I got to get in the Word. I got to be with people. If you will walk with Him, He will walk with you. And He'll be with you in the middle of storms and the middle of trials and the ups and the downs of life. He will be right there with you and He will enable you and He'll give you grace to fulfill the assignment that He's called you to. Amen? Yeah. So I want to grow in the things of God. How about you? Yeah, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this group of people who are hungry and expectant and want to grow with you and want to walk with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would draw us deeper and and closer and near unto you. I thank you for your hand of favor that's with us. Mm. Lord, I thank you for, you know what? I thank you for people that are called to go. Mm. Thank you that you called us to go wherever we are in this world to go to different places. You know, I was just up here praying, and it's like the thought hit me that maybe, maybe you, you question, like, what is the ministry that God has called me to? Or what, what do I have to offer? Or what, what, how can I minister to him? And I, I feel like if you just take a step of faith, I'm talking to somebody, if you take a step of faith, step out of the boat and begin to be obedient when the Lord prompts you to do something and develop that, God will use you in ways you could never imagine or expect. I've seen this happen. I've seen little little things that you sow multiply into great things. Little things become great things. Those little seeds that you sow, they, they start growing and growing and growing. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, Joel, I was sitting here, and I saw you back there, and that thought hit me. There's little seeds that you've sown that God is going to multiply in, in great, marvelous ways. You haven't seen yet the harvest on it. It's going to come back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And I, I really sense it, bro. God's going to open those doors to nations. And I'm telling you, you're in for a wild ride. And that's just the grace he's given you. That's the call that you have to do things. I, I just saw it there as we were praying. Oh, Lord, I thank you for your hand. Amen, amen. How many of y'all love Jesus this morning? I love the Lord. I want to give you the opportunity. He loves you. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you don't know that he loves you dearly, if you don't know that he's paid a price for your soul, I want to give you the, the opportunity to just receive him this morning. That's, someone asked me, what do you got to do? I said, it's a free gift. You just ask him to come into your life, and he'll change it. It's a free thing. So if you've never partaken of that free gift, I want you to put a hand up. And I want to pray with you. That free gift. I see that hand. There's another one. Just say, Lord, come into my heart. Repeat after me. Say, Father, come into my heart. I want a free gift that I can grow in with you. I want to walk with you all my days. Thank you for forgiving me of sin. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen. And the Lord loves you, amen. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. And I want to thank you for coming out to church this week. I want to encourage you to pray. Uh, This is a beautiful fall because winter's coming tomorrow. That's why I got to get that thing on my roof fixed. <laughs> That's Montana. Yeah. We love you very much. I want to just, if you want prayer, we're here to pray with you. If you want to thank Brenda for cooking you breakfast, you go do that. We love you very much. We will catch you all next week unless you're here on Wednesday nights and we'll be here to pray and go to youth. So love you all very much, man. We'll see you all next week. Amen.